Well, here we are again. Yes. Do you recommend anything? The Brook Trout. A little trouty, but quite good. So. Brook Trout. There you are, thank you. Yes, sir. I know, I look vaguely familiar. Yes. You feel you've seen me somewhere before? Mm-hmm. Funny how I have that effect on people. It's something about my face. It's a nice face. You think so? I wouldn't say it if I didn't. Oh, you're that type. What type? Honest. Not really. Good, because all these women frighten me. Why? I don't know. Somehow they seem to put me at a disadvantage. Because you're not honest with them? Exactly. Like that business about the seven parking tickets? What I mean is, the moment I meet an attractive woman, I have to start pretending I've no desire to make love to her. What makes you think you have to conceal it? She might find the idea objectionable. Then again, she might not. Think how lucky I am to have been seated here. Well, luck had nothing to do with it. Fate? I tipped the steward five dollars to seat you here if you should come in. Is that a proposition? I never discuss love on an empty stomach. You've already eaten. But you haven't. Don't you think it's time we were introduced? I'm Eve Kendall. I'm 26 and unmarried. Now you know everything. Tell me, what do you do besides lure men to their doom on the 20th Century Limited? I'm an industrial designer. Jack Phillips, Western Sales Manager for Kingby Electronics. No, you're not. You're Roger Thornhill of Madison Avenue, and you're wanted for murder on every front page in America. Don't be so modest. Oops. Oh, don't worry. I won't say a word. How come? I told you. It's a nice face. Is that the only reason? It's going to be a long night. True. And I don't particularly like the book I've started. Ah. You know what I mean? Ah, let me think. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. I'd invite you to my bedroom if I had a bedroom. A roommate? Nothing, not even a ticket. I've been playing hide-and-seek with the Pullman conductor ever since the train left New York. How awkward for you. Yes, isn't it? No place to sleep. I have a large drawing room all to myself. That doesn't seem quite fair, does it? Drawing room E. Car 3901. Such a nice number. It's easy to remember. 3901. See? No luggage. So? Well, you wouldn't happen to have an extra pair of pajamas, would you? Wouldn't I? Incidentally, I wouldn't order any dessert if I were you. I get the message. That isn't exactly what I meant. This train seems to be making an unscheduled stop, and I just saw two men get out of a police car as we pulled into the station. They weren't smiling.
Nightfly podcast. Uh, pretty much one month ago, before we changed the name, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. It's just guy with the city, but it's the Nightfly, November twenty third edition. Two days before Thanksgiving, twenty twenty one. Possibly a back to normal edition of Thanksgiving, since last year was so messed up, so messed up, and of course everybody's talking about how traveling is going to be and. This is so funny. I've just never had an issue of traveling on Thanksgiving because well, I never travel anywhere. So why would I travel on Thanksgiving? All my family lives here and they always have and they always will. Except for that one Liza who got out of our clutches and moved to Boston. She's so smart. But yes, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope everybody's got some awesome plans that they do or definitely at least at the very least a place to go. As you know, I am probably going to go to my sister's. I, And again, if my brother-in-law wasn't that good a cook, I probably just would not go because it's not great. You know, my sister hates me for some reason. My mother and I were talking about this yesterday. And I'm like, why is she so angry at me at Thanksgiving? And my mother says, and she's not very insightful. She goes, I think she still blames you for growing up. So, and I know that's what it is, right? But what did I do growing up that a normal brother didn't do? What did I do that's so bad that my sister at the ripe old age of 75, won't forgive her younger brother. I know, I'm older. And, and I was thinking about this the other day, and I told my mom, and I said, I, you know, on Monday Night Football, they started this new thing where uh, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning now do an alternative Monday Night Football show. And it's really, really cool. And it's really great. And that's all I watch now. I don't bother watching the game because the commentators are... Well, they're idiots. And Peyton Manning is, as you know, as I've said multiple times on this podcast, as most of the girls I go out with know I'm in love with, because uh, he's so goddamn funny. He's one of the greatest hosts of Saturday Night Live of all time, and everybody knows it. And he's won two Super Bowls, one, by him, one completely by himself. <laughs> he had, like, no help. It's not like Tom Brady, who's had lots of help. I mean, it, uh, this guy is fascinating. And, of course, Eli is just weird <laughs> he's just doesn't he's got the exact opposite personality but he's won two super bowls so anyway they're really funny it's a great show it's on espn2 if you ever want to watch it on monday night sometimes they take a break but usually they're monday night's an alternative and uh, they just have guests and sometimes they talk about what's going on and other times it's kind of like my tuesday show where they're just talking about nonsense and they show clips and they show pictures like they had Al Michaels on the other day and they're like here's Al Michaels playing golf and one of his friends gave him a video of him just yelling when he couldn't hit the golf ball properly and he's like damn it damn it like uh like uh Spalding and and Caddyshack it was hilarious 
but there was one part where Eli was complaining that Peyton used to be so mean to him when they were kids and he used to beat him up and threaten him that he was going to kill him. And I definitely did that to my sister, but you know, they've gotten past it because that's what brothers and sisters and brothers do. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. And yeah, you know, and then you, you grow out of it, but she, she will not forgive. Yeah. It was a complete douchebag as a, a brother growing up, a complete douchebag. But now, you know, we became best friends and she just won't let it go. And that is where the all this anger derives from, you know. I mean, I, we're doing better now, you know, but I'm just nervous about going over there because she just gets so angry at me. And I'm not sure why. She's like, you don't help. And I'm like, help with what? What do you want me to do? I'll bring a couple of the plates over, even though we all know. If you've seen Saturday Night Fever, that's women's work. It was clearly stated in every 70s movie. The women do that. The men just sit there. It's in the Titanic movie. We don't want to lounge around here with the women, do you, Dawson? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, maybe if you're 20, you get it. But I've always gotten up and helped clean the dishes. <laughs> my dad used to say, what are you doing? <laughs> I never had a problem. I don't mind bringing my plate to the sink. I just, What else do you want me to do? It's not my house. And she goes, how would you like that if I did that to yours? I'm like, I wouldn't care at all. I clean up the next day. I leave everything in the kitchen piled up, and when everybody leaves, I go to bed, and then I clean it the next day. That's always been my thing. I'm like, why would I want to bother myself at nighttime? I I will soak dishes, <laughs> but that's the best I do. Otherwise, uh, you know, whatever, uh, you know, uh, crusts itself over on the plate or whatever becomes uh, horrible that you can't clean, I throw out and I buy some new ones. But that's never happened. I mean, we have dishwashers these days. It couldn't be easier. So I don't know what it is she wants over me. Uh, I get there. I have my little cans of beers, you know. I eat, and then I go home. What, what, what do you want me to do? And then, well, I usually take a nap. Because then she has neighbors come over that I don't know, and I don't feel like discussing whatever they're talking about. I don't know anything they're talking about. They're talking about children and what their kids are doing. Obviously, I can't get on in that conversation. So what's better than going to watch TV and taking a nap? That's what I'm supposed to do at this age. How does she not get that? Well, that's my big plan <laughs> for Thanksgiving. Believe me, I wish I had another place to go, and yet I don't because I, this guy is such a good cook. If he wasn't a good cook, it wouldn't even be an option. I'm like, Beth, I'm going to go somewhere else this year, but not that I have anywhere to go. I do keep inviting myself over to places. I asked Maureen, I'm like, hey, where are you going? Maybe I'll hang out with you. She's like, oh, I'm going to L.A., and I'm like, all right, great. I'll go there, but then I was like, well, I'm not going to travel anywhere. Who am I kidding? I was thinking about going down to Katie's and Orlando or wherever they're going. Like, yeah, you can come by. I mean, I probably could, but that's this is all travel stuff, and that's something I definitely don't want to do. So I don't, you know, I'm not whatever, right? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited about Thanksgiving because the guy is such a good cook. He makes such good turkey. My mother's like, oh, I used to make good turkey too. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is the reason I'm going to Thanksgiving because your turkey sucked. And I'm not, please don't take this the wrong way, but you got to be kidding. The reason why this turkey is so spectacular because all those years your turkey was dry and awful. And I don't think it's your fault. I think people don't know how to make a proper turkey, except for some reason, my brother-in-law. He says it's about the carving, but I don't know. But, you know, when Thanksgiving is usually all about the sides, for me, with him, it's about the turkey. 
It is juicy and delicious. Wait, what, what does Joey say in the Thanksgiving? No, turkeys are juicy and delicious. <laughs> They're stupid and delicious, something like that. Uh, but yeah, oh, that's all I want to have. I, the sides, I mean, I love the sides, but I just keep having turkey and turkey. And then my mother told me, like, well, I only eat dark meat. I'm like, what? I never heard of that. You do? I didn't even know. And of course, dark meat has always been juicy, but I don't like it. I hate it. I think dark meat's disgusting. I love the white meat. So she probably never tasted her own goddamn turkey and hadn't realized how dry it was. And of course, we didn't know how dry it was. We're just like, turkey's all right. Until Matt came along, and then we realized that turkey could be juicy and delicious. And all I do is eat now, as you know. So why wouldn't I be into a place where I'm like, well, you know where there's good eats? My brother-in-law's. It's not a horrible time. She's making me pick up my mother for some reason. I don't know why her kids aren't doing it. I mean, that's what they're there for. That's what kids are for, to pick up their grandparents. and drive. I know they're driving them home, her home, but if that's my one job and I got to do it, whatever. It's really out of my way. But I'll leave early. Maybe I'll go to the storage area, right? That'll be fun, right? <laughs> storage area. Stupid storage area. Meanwhile, I didn't go there. Yesterday, I went to my mom's. And we went, oh, so I went to the diner like three days in a row this week. Three days in a row. <laughs> I mean, I'm out of control. On Tuesday, I went with Nick Griffin, which is my favorite thing. We do that every Tuesday. On Wednesday, I went with my new friend, Kate Meany, Kevin Meany's daughter, <laughs> the old the comedian. I like big pants. Hey. The guy that was doing the We Are the World bit up until the uh, 2020 or whenever he died. I mean, it's, ugh. He used to be a living legend. In fact, I believe he was in the TV show of Uncle Buck. I believe he played Uncle Buck in the TV series. Anyway, this is his daughter. She's very pretty, very sweet, and she loves, just like an old man, I'm in love with her. She's like, uh, I love going, when I called her the other day, I was trying to get her into this acting class, you know, Larry Moss. She wants to be an actress. I'm like, well, I know a good class you could audit and then see if you want to get in, but he's he's very selective. But, you know, she's going to give it a try. When I called her, she's like, yeah, I'm just at the diner by myself reading the paper. And I'm like, "What? how old are you? And she's really young. And I'm like, I'm like I, I, I love her already. You know, it's like, that's all I, I figured I was the last person to read the newspaper. I'm definitely the last person to have the newspaper delivered. So I meet her on Wednesday at this old place that I hadn't been to in years because it was up by Catcherizing Star. It's on 77th and 1st called The Green Kitchen. And I called my friend Rick Newman, who, you know, invented catch a rising star and i say you're not gonna believe where i am and he's like yeah order me a blt a chocolate shake like he he must have gone there for years this place has been around for years and it was a nice clean place and quite frankly the prices okay so like if the western omelet where i go every tuesday is as i've told you which i don't even get there anymore it's like 19 dollars. it was 11 dollars here which is more normal i mean that's a big difference and that's the upper east side it doesn't make any sense but when uh, I was sitting there, she came in, and not only did she bring the newspaper, which I was like, why would she bring the newspaper today? Is she complaining? I'm reading it while we're here. She bought the New York Times, and I'm like, whoa, whoa. When you said you were reading the paper, or are you just doing that to impress me? Because I am already impressed. What? The New York Times? You are coming in guns blazing. I read the Post. I don't think I could read the New York Times at a diner. It's too, it's too much. It's too serious. There's too much reading to do. You can't even fold it up and put it in your jacket. 
I was very impressed. We had a really good time. She she likes old movies, you know, like Arthur. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But she has seen all the good ones, which is good. But she likes the old ones. That's why I played the North by Northwest because we were talking about it. She's never seen that one. But she has seen like Rear Window and stuff like that. So it's good to talk to somebody young who's seen all the stuff. And she goes to the movie theaters to see them. She'll go to the art houses to see old movies. You got to appreciate that. I said, I think the last time I did, I saw All About Eve with Betty Davis. She goes, oh, I saw that. That was amazing. And I'm like, yeah, it was amazing. So I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, they, before I was born, they made okay movies. But even though, you know, as you know, I hate most of the movies that they made before I was born. I really hate them. But there are a couple of standouts, like North by Northwest. I played that scene up front because I was thinking about, you know, I've been thinking about James Bond, James Bond, and of course in Casino Royale, they pretty much rip off that exact train scene with Daniel Craig and Ava Green. You know, make it a little more updated, but it's it's completely ripped off from North by Northwest. There's no doubt about it. That's what makes the Casino Royale so spectacular. They're like taking, you know, things from classic scenes from other movies which james bond has never done before unless they were making fun of it but they weren't making fun it was really great but that scene on the train i mean that's sick and then, and then i'm 26 i'm single i, I mean that's 26 she wishes i mean maybe she was but a 26 year old back then always seemed like a 55 year old <laughs> the way they talk and that way it's like it, 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 nobody ever looked in their 20s in the movies back before at least before I was born, <laughs> just, well, quite frankly, up in, I would say up until the 80s, up until John Hughes, I don't think anybody was in their 20s in the movie. I mean, look at Greece, is a 1979 movie where Stocker Channing was my age now, <laughs> playing a 17-year-old, well, I rest my case. So it's a good thing John Hughes came around and finally was like, why don't we just use actual kids? They're pretty good, some of them. Yeah, so I went to the, then Thursday. I went to the diner with my mother again, and I don't know what I, I listen. I don't get upset about this. If Joe Messina's listening, I I'm, I was going to tell you, but I I didn't want to tell you. But I got the meatball parmesan sub. It was a special. I know, I know. How are you getting a meatball parmesan sub at a diner? I get it. I know. All right. I don't know why it comes with a soup and a dessert. It's, it's, it's the senior citizens but no it was the daily special i don't know i can't explain why i would do something like that it just one of those deals that it didn't even seem right at the time i knew what i was doing a wrong thing but i i just did it i just did it and instead of french fries i had mashed potatoes mm. <laughs> that was the right choice so you know i don't know whether i, I think yeah i told him my mother's moving and uh it's a mess. She sold the house, then she didn't sell the house, and she won't listen to me or Beth, and they keep lowering the price of the house, and Beth's like, why are you lowering the price of the house? Two people came. You, why don't you give it a chance? And we're talking to the real estate person. She's just like, it's already in the computer. I can't change it. Like, what an asshole. And my mother won't listen to any kind of reason, so whatever. She's on her own. This is the way she wants it, I guess. It's so strange. We're trying to help. But she's moving out of that house, and she's moving out quickly. And it, the worst part is, this woman is really getting on my nerves and we're in a good place. You know, me and my mom, after years of the way I treated her on this podcast, I'm, I'm taking my stuff that I have in her basement, you know, into the storage. Room. So I got to put it in it's heavy, big construction bags. And she's like, David, David, don't do too much. You know? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? Don't do too much. 
I we have we're leaving in like three weeks. I got to get it all out of here. I got to do it at some point. I only come here once a week. I'm like, don't tell me not to do anything. I got to do it because you're in a rush to move away so you can get your phone number changed. This is what falls on me and Beth. I'm not being selfish. I'm like, don't, don't. I don't mind moving it and taking it out and, and rushing, but don't tell me not to rush. We are in a rush. You have put us in this position. This house should have been on the market in August. Anywho, so some of these bags, they're so heavy. I'm old and I hope I hurt my back on Sunday. I went, I took the bike to Hoboken, my favorite place in the whole world. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do when they make it legal in New York, but I took the bike to Hoboken and I, I wasn't rushing. I definitely wasn't rushing. I wasn't in any kind of rush, but I couldn't get the bike in the rack, you know, to lock, you know, this is a city bike and something was wrong. So I kept picking up the bike to shove it in <laughs> and I hurt my back. My back just completely just, you know, something happened and it was like really painful. So I've been, you know, kind of like, it's better now, but it, I hurt it for a day or two, but it's still not a hundred percent. You know how that is. And yesterday I was lifting these really heavy things, much heavier than I thought they were and sliding them up the stairs, like carrying them, like sliding. I don't know what's in them. Joe's going to kill me. He's like, I probably broke a couple of things, but I'm like, I just got to get this stuff out of here. And then I got to put it in my car and then I left it in the car and I got to bring it to the storage area some other time. You know, I mean, it's just such a, a project, but that's what it's no big deal. It's just, it was so heavy that it really wore me out yesterday. And then my mother wanted me to take her TV out of the thing. And that was really heavy. She goes, well, Beth was able to carry it. I'm like, fine, <laughs> but I couldn't do it until I lifted all this other stuff. Then I was like, all right, I think I'm ready for the TV now. I don't do any heavy lifting. So it was like really difficult. And I really strained myself and I cut myself and I'm just not used to doing any kind of manual labor whatsoever since 1985 when I worked at a, a warehouse. So then I, you know, then I had to pack everything in the car and lift it up. And it's, you know, there was just all this lifting. And then I just had to relax and I was just out of it. But I, it was weird. Like I never fell asleep. My mother said, just sit in that chair and watch TV. And I sat in the chair that usually conks me out, but never fell asleep. And then I decided I was going to go to Trisha's parents' house because her sister was there. And I figured, well, that'll be a buffer. So they're not yelling at it. Remember last time I went out? Because the anniversary of Trisha's death, if you remember, the girl I asked to marry me in October died in November last year. And her parents are still, they love me very much. Her sister keeps calling me all week. She's like, oh, hi, brother. You know, it's like really weird. Like I am her brother-in-law and I am their son-in-law. It's very strange. So I get a call on Sunday during football because it's the father's birthday. He's like, hey, Dave, it's my birthday. And I'm like, oh, yeah, happy birthday. He goes, and tomorrow is the day Trish died. And I'm like, oh, no, I got to go. I mean, it was, it was sad, but I was like, why did he call me to tell me that if he's going to get emotional, if he can't talk about it? I know, it's, it sounds horrible. and uh, But at this point, you know, it's been a year, so I'm way over it. Um, Sad-wise, I just, you know me, I don't really care that much about death. But I went over their house because it's been a year, and I knew uh, Lizzie was going to be there, and I'm like, well, that'll be a better deal than them screaming at each other, yelling whose fault it was that she's dead, uh, which was, you know, hilarious last time. And I chose to go over it. It's like an hour and a half away from my mother's. And I took the like the scenic route through Jersey, like no highways. It was kind of fun, except I left, uh, you know, I always go visit Aunt Judy. I left around 
And so 10 minutes into the trip, it was pitch black. And I'm going through these farmlands in Jersey, and I was scared. I, I'm not used to driving on unlit highways in the dark, and I think maybe I'm at a place now where I need those special nighttime driving glasses. There were animals going by. I mean, thank God I wasn't drinking. There were deer. You know, there were was always animals that scurry in the road. I definitely had to use the brights, the brights, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I remember looking at the clock going like, wait, it feels like it's 10 o'clock. I know everybody's dealing with the same thing. This getting dark at like 440. And it happens every year for our entire lives. But it's it's funny when it comes upon us and it's just still shocking. It's pitch black at 515. And all of a sudden these deer are walking across and they don't give a shit. No wonder they keep getting hit. They don't, they're just, well, la, 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 la. I mean, it's one of those places. And I was I was terrified. I was just so nervous because i you know i didn't know where i was going mostly and my car has trouble going up hills and i don't know i was just uh, a little panicked but it still technically was a pleasant drive but i guess it would have been more pleasant during the day i didn't think about that and it even took me longer i took like a, a scenic route that took me like an hour and a half instead of an hour and 15 or an hour and 12 because i'm like nah screw it, it'll be fun what am i in a rush for so I get there, and of course we just start drinking again because that's what they do. And then I, I, I was just talking. I was so wide awake. I don't know how. I was so wide awake. I didn't sleep at my mother's. I did all this work. You would think I'd be asleep. I was just so wide awake. I didn't even have that much coffee. I don't think or anything. But I had that meatball sub. But I was like blah 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 blah. I was talking up a storm, and then of course uh, I made the mother cry because uh, I found out these. Because <laughs> this is what I do. So I found out new information, like when Trish had gone to jail because for drinking and driving, I guess, or something, and apparently uh, they told me she blamed them for not getting her, for not making her bail, which I guess was $2,000, and they're like, well, we couldn't just go to an ATM and take it out. I'm like, why not? They're like, they don't let you take out that much. I'm like, did you try? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, because I'm pretty sure I can take it out at my bank. I mean, I think if you go to the the branch... You can take it out. I mean, if you're going to a 7-Eleven, they probably won't let you take it out. But I think if you go to the branch, then she starts to cry. And I'm like, so technically it is your fault that I'm such a horrible human being. I couldn't help myself. I was just like, what? <laughs> you brought it up. What do you want me to say? I mean, I don't know why she's mad at you for not getting her out of jail. She fucked up in the first place. And I kept saying, don't blame yourself. And she's like, don't tell me not to blame myself. I'm like, well, what am I supposed to say? That's the social contract. I'm supposed to say that to you. I don't mean it. I'm just saying that's what I'm supposed to say. What am I supposed to say? <laughs> I'm so stupid. What am I doing? This poor family. But I was like, ah, she's drunk. She's not going to remember tomorrow. And uh, I know. Like, why am I even? So I think I'm doing it. So I'm like, God, I hope they don't invite me over again. <laughs> I think I've had enough. I'm done with this family now. But, you know, it's, I was thinking about it, and it's like I really did. I was trying to help the situation with their daughter in the sense of asking her to marry me because I knew things were going downhill. I knew it was going to end like this. I mean, I really did definitely know it was going to end like this. I thought maybe I could help. I thought perhaps if she moved in with me and, and we got married and she possibly lived some sort of semi-normal life and I know she loved me a lot and you know, would have, we would have had a good time together, even if she maybe wasn't all in on love or whatever. I think, uh, you know, I figured she would have, but I know for sure that it would have ended the same way. 
I, I don't think I think she was you know she was trying to finish herself yeah I told you like leaving Las Vegas shit it would have ended the same just would have ended here and then I would have been somehow indicted or something like well, what did you do and I'm like I didn't do nothing I yeah I don't think there's any way to win but I tried I did try yeah what are you gonna do you know and then of course I had to come home and uh, you know I still I ain't get home till like 11 30 and then I, you know I just Stop at that stupid Taco Bell. I hadn't eaten anything except that meatball parm shop. But at least I just had some nachos. So I didn't feel that bad. <laughs> I was like, why am I stopping at Taco Bell? I'm like, oh, because it's my Thursday tradition. Because I don't eat enough. Oh, yeah, I, I just don't eat anything. Oh, God. I can't stop eating on Monday. I went back to Hoboken, right? That's like, my, my new tradition. It's as stupid as that. I got to get out of here before it gets dark, right? So I leave, I take the ferry, I don't get off the ferry, I place the bed, and then I come back, and I was like, nobody wanted to get wings. I asked if anybody wants to get wings. I love giving wings every Monday now at this place. And I got there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. At 5 o'clock. And apparently they were just opening. I was the only one there. And I saw that bartender girl, and she was like, uh, yeah, no, we're open, but she's like crazy. And then this other lady came in, who I guess works at the Javits Center, and she was not a lot of laughs, but we were the only ones there, so we were talking. And then she got really angry at the song they were playing, and she's like, "Well, I'm I can't take this," and she left. It was really weird. And apparently, the bartender knew. I'm like, "That lady is crazy." She just left because she didn't like the song playing, which she could have easily said, "Could you play a different song?" To the bartender, since we were the only ones there, but I would never say that to the bartender where she's just opening up and she was enjoying the song. So you want to be that much of a dick that you walk in and immediately change the music? How rude. But I sat in there by myself. I had a couple of beers. And then I had 16 wings, medium. I finished every one of them. It was delicious. And I walked home. It was beautiful. It was a great night. (laughs) A stupid night. I didn't do anything this week. I did nothing of of relevance this week you know i got i got the wings on monday well i got wings monday night you know and then tuesday we did the show which was uh marina's amazing and brian scott mcfadden whatever but uh (laughs) marina's the best this week as you may or may not know colin quinn scheduled to appear tonight tuesday the 23rd scheduled he is penciled in he could cancel at any minute but that's all right He's great. I think he'll still do it, but as of this recording, he's still in, but we'll see. And then after him, who is after? Oh, Lenny Marcus. And then next week, Gilbert Godfrey. That is penned in. That is inked in. And Alex Sulkin again. Yes, my friend. And and tomorrow, oh, so, and that's the classic thing this week. I mean, it's just the worst week. I mean, technically, and just if you're trying to promote a podcast, uh, Billy Joel we we have like the worst it's uh, it's not the worst it's just the the we have this great interview with Paul Lauren who I've played on this uh show before he's amazing and he and he plays a couple songs for us on the show so that's it's great and th- but then we have the Jays wrap up so it it's great if you're a fan of the podcast but if you're telling people you're doing a podcast on Billy Joel and you're like oh what song do you have coming up this week song Oh, we don't have any songs coming up this week. I mean, that just sounds pathetic, you know. It's just a coincidence again when it happens, and it happens because we haven't. The letters haven't had a lot of 
songs to them lately. So it's just been, and here's another interview and a wrap up, and we haven't gotten any songs, and it's just going to get worse when it gets to K because there's only one goddamn song. However, on December 4th, if you are listening to uh, the Billy Joel podcast, you can, um, we set up on Instagram that you can email uh, the Billy Joel A to Z, whatever it is that Elon handles, he handles the, that part of it. Um, and on December 4th at 1 o'clock, we will be letting people into the show. It's not live. You know, it'll be taped. But you could try and stump Paul with a Billy Joel song. That's what we thought we'd do something special since there's only one goddamn song in the case. Probably have to do this again in the queues. But for now, that is the plan. Uh, again, if you are a Maggie-level subscriber, uh, you give me your emails, and I will make sure that you're, you get on. And so many, when we get the emails, we might not be able to get to everybody. But if you are a Maggie-level subscriber, then, of course, you can. So that's what's uh, going. But that's later, and it's just, uh, you know, what a disaster. I mean, seriously, what a disaster, right? If you're trying to build a podcast and you have no songs coming out this week, and then next week it's one song, and then back to interviews and other stuff. It's so messed up, but it's still a lot of fun. But if you're trying to promote, oh, what song do you have coming up this week? No, no songs. No songs. We've decided not to do any songs. We just kind of talk about, you know, old movies and TV shows, you know, like Maud. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It's good. You'll like it. You'll like it. Oh, what a disaster. <laughs> yes. But that is what's happening, and it's uh, super fun. So I guess for me and you, those of us who enjoy Billy Joel A to Z. So on Wednesday when I um, – oh, yeah, I didn't do anything, right? I just went out for the diner, and then that was it. Yeah. So I was just watching TV, I guess. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing to further my existence on this planet I don't know. I'm so confused. I really don't know what to do or how to handle things or, you know, what what's the next move? I, I'm very confused. And, you know, Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, I have nothing but time to concentrate on this. And I just can't concentrate. And um, I don't know how to handle it. But whatever the case may be. Uh, later that night, I was uh, eating and watching TV. And, of course, that's, you know, what I do. And I was watching this movie, which we have spoken about on this show before, called Shampoo. It's a 1975 movie with Warren Beatty, the only person that could per, uh, pull off being a Beverly Hills hairdresser, you know, who's betting a lot of women. It made a hell of a lot of sense, and it made a hell of a lot of money. Well, why wouldn't it? It's Warren Beatty, Goldie Hawn, Lee Grant. Yeah, Lee Grant, who's in um, Defending Your Life. Albert Brooks, uh, and uh, Julie Christie, and Jack Warden, who Warren Beatty loved. And uh, yeah, we've talked about it once before in this movie, but mostly just because of what happened in Drive-In, and I was just watching it, and I guess I never watched like the whole thing, and I was going back and forth with it, <clears throat> maybe watching a, a hockey game or something. I don't remember. There was one thing that really, there was two things that uh, really called my attention to writing it down and saying, I want to talk about this today. First of all, first of all, the title is brilliant. Shampoo. Fucking brilliant. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, and it's also, it's Warren Beatty. This guy, as handsome as he was, I guess, you know, like uh, 
Bradley Cooper and people like that are that handsome, and then they can also do their own stuff. But he, he hasn't gotten to that level yet. But Warren Beatty, so handsome, so cool, but also like an activist and a true, like an original you know, activist that would make movies about, that would take a movie like Shampoo, where it's about a, it's about a Beverly Hills hairdresser, you know, who sleeps with all these women. But the backdrop is, it takes place, even though it came out in 1975, takes place in 1968, the eve of Richard Nixon's election. So it is a brilliant move. And I think he co-wrote it maybe, or he definitely had the idea of um, mixing politics and sex. So, uh, you know, and, and, and to, but to make a movie, I mean, these days you would think about somebody like, oh, I'm going to, let me play a Beverly Hills hairdresser and it'll just be a fluff movie about a Beverly Hills hairdresser. And nobody would ever think, and Adam Sandler or uh, whoever, Brad Pitt, they, they wouldn't think to make a backdrop of the 1968 election night. You know, you know what I'm saying? That I mean, to, to add in this extra element is what makes the movie really interesting. But the best part about it was, and maybe I've never seen it before, I don't know, is that Warren Beatty, the entire movie, is just riding around on a motorcycle in L.A. completely without a helmet. And it is so cool looking. He just rides this motorcycle the entire movie, chasing after girls, going from place to place, fixing girls' hair, on a motorcycle with no helmet. And at one point, he takes his blow dryer from his house and puts it in his pants like a like a gun <laughs> and drives around with it. It's the coolest thing you've ever seen. Uh, and it's also a brilliant move to be a Beverly Hills hairdresser and be, because remember, we've talked about this. My cousin was not a Beverly Hills hairdresser, but he was a New York City, New, West Village hairdresser. And with hairdressers, as you all do or do not know, and I used to go to beauty parlor all the time. I'm one of the few men who was just always going with my mother and sister, the beauty. I never went to a barbershop until I started losing my hair. I always went to a salon with my mother and sister. So I've been to multiple salons and we all would go to this. You know, remember I told you I used to get my hair cut by John Bon Jovi's dad all the time. And when you owned a hair, the owner was usually a sex maniac. And then he, the other guys that cut hair were gay. And that's always the way it seemed to work. Where the person that built the place was uh, just, a, you know, totally in love with women and, you know, hair, whatever. And he'd always make their hair, you know, the same. Everybody looked like the Farrah look or whatever. And then the guys that worked there were all gay. It's just so that's the way it worked and. In this movie, he works for, I think he works for a gay guy. But he might not be gay, I don't know. But he's just a regular employee there, but he's straight. And that alone is interesting. But anyway, the uh, the point is, is that, I, I don't know how I never saw this before, but there's this scene, and I was going to open with it today, because it's so phenomenal in so many multiple ways that you will be amazed and confused by it, but I couldn't open with it, which I would have five years ago. I would have just opened with this scene, not given it a second thought. But I am becoming a little bit woker. I'm going to play it, but it's hard to play these days because everybody's you know ruining it. And it's you know I'm second guessing. I used to play stuff with the N word in it all the time, and 
other stuff. And, um, you know, and I would say, hey, hey, it's in the goddamn movie. What do you want me to do about it? So I thought it wasn't a good idea to open with it when I'm going to play it for you now. And the reason I'm also playing for you now is that it stars Warren Beatty and Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher, 1975. So she's playing the daughter of one of the women he's sleeping with, which I think is Lee Grant. And uh, he meets her on the tennis court, and then they meet. And she goes to the house, and she's really pretty. She's probably, uh, well, if she's 19 in Star Wars, so she must be 17, but maybe playing a 15-year-old or 16. And the funny thing is, is that as big of a star as Warren Beatty is, was, and still is considered, because he missed the cancel culture, lucky for him, and got smart and got married and settled down just in time, um, she is going to become the biggest star on the planet in two years. And that's what's always fascinating. This little girl who plays the daughter of the thing is going to usurp everybody in this motion picture and become the biggest star on the planet. But when you hear some of this dialogue, you say to yourself, well, how did that happen? Because it might not happen just because of the goddamn dialogue. But it's like, you know, you can't blame the dialogue. This is the way people, I guess, used to talk. This is the one thing I like about this house. Want some locks? No, You're my mother's hairdresser. I do hair, yeah. Chop liver? No, thanks. Are you gay? You want a baked apple? They're cold, but they're good. No, thanks. Did you hear me? Yeah. Well, are you? Are you queer? Sure. Come on, are you or aren't you? This is great, huh? Come on, tell me. Don't be afraid. Why do you want to know so bad? See if you've been making it with my mother. Why would my being a faggot have anything to do with that? Nothing, I guess. Have you ever made it with a guy? No. You ever make it with a girl? Well, are you? Am I what? What are you talking about? Making it with my mother. I'd like to do your hair sometimes. Do you have a thing about older women? That's sort of faggoty, isn't it? I never get my hair done. In fact, I don't think I've ever been to a beauty salon in my whole life. And you think that's funny, don't you? Yeah. Beverly Hills hairdresser. You might as well be a faggot. Think that's funny, too? No. Then what do you think? You know, I think you got exactly the same eyes as your mother, and your chin's a little bit like hers, too. No, it isn't. I think it no, is. No, no, and my eyes they're aren't like hers either. They are. No, they're, they're not. They're not. They no, they're not. They I, really I'm not like my mother. I'm not trying to insult you, you know? Can't we just, uh, be friends? Okay. You want to fuck? And that's where the spit take comes in. Uh, and they do end up sleeping together. And it's uh, 
Interesting, but you know what's also interesting about that? First of all, the all the Jewish references. I like this place because it has a lot of locks. Chopped liver? So she gets she's playing a Jewish girl, which is hilarious. And when she's talking about her mother, even though it's a movie mother, it sounds like she's talking about her actual mother. Now that we know all about Carrie Fisher, it sounds like she's actually talking about Debbie Reynolds. So this has multiple meanings. Of course, the ending, do you want to fuck? And then they do end up fucking, but it's also they're eating carrots and pickles at the same time and with the crunching and celery and it's all innuendos and uh, it's an interesting scene uh, for everything, everything in it. Her, who's going to skyrocket to stardom, uh, the use of the, the F word, and then in both cases, uh, fuck and I can't even say it anymore, you know? Never used to bother me at all. In fact, I think I was using it on stage up till three years ago when my that horrible manager I had that was mean and, and uh, evil um, told me, you know, you probably shouldn't use that anymore. I'm like, really? Why not? I mean, I'm just going to say it because it's in that, again, the trading places has all the words. You know, Eddie Murphy used to use it all the time. That's what like, but you can't use it anymore. It's like, you guys are a couple of faggots now, right? Or these guys are a couple of faggots. It's one of my favorite scenes. I used to say it all the time, but you can't, you can't. Uh... And why would you? I mean, I guess it's funny. I do sometimes say it to my gay friends, <laughs> which is, I guess, funny, but maybe it's not so funny anymore. Listen, I'm trying. What do you want me to say? So, but I, I thought you would uh, enjoy the interestingness of that scene in 1975. Now, well, speaking of movies, I found this thing in the uh, little article that was kind of cool about movies that, uh, you know, had these uh, things and then they get a test screening and then they change it because they got this audience reaction that didn't work or worked. And it was kind of, I thought these kind of things are rather fascinating. Uh, this is a small one, but I've heard this before with that movie Moonstruck, which I did not care for in the least. I think I've only seen it once, and I didn't like it then, and I never found it funny. But they were saying that the producers said that the first test screening, nobody knew how to respond because they didn't know it was a comedy. And so they changed the opening song from Puccini to a Dean Martin's That's Amore, and that seemed to change the entire tone of the movie. Then people knew it was a comedy. Now, that's always been interesting. And you remember I told you when I was working with that guy who used to write the Dick Van Dyke show, Bill Persky, and he was telling me about the movie he made in 1980 called Serial. And he goes, we had this great opening number and it explained the whole movie. And then the studio changed the the opening number and the movie bombed. It's my fault because they changed it. I mean, I guess even though he was crazy and he said that about everything that he did, there is something completely to that, that an opening song can really, well, it sets the tone. You know, that's the thing, things that set the tone for the movie. Somebody just told me something the other day that sets the tone, and now I can't remember. I mean, we were just talking about the other day, a movie that, that completely sets the tone of the movie and how important it is to, you know, have certain scenes. I mean, I can't remember. But another one that was really interesting was flat, Footloose. Footloose. I was going to say Flashdance. Uh, because they said... That Herb Ross, the director who's like a legendary, but a studio director, not known for being, you know, a big thing, he didn't feel, and they what they finished the film, and he goes, There's no need for a final dance scene. And the producer's like, What the fuck are you talking about? He goes, No, it's not. He 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 says, he said he told the producer 
that if you make a movie about a family wanting a house, the moment of victory is when the family approaches the front door and puts the key in the lock. You don't need to show them walking through the kitchen, the living room, and the bedroom to make the point. The audience will feel good. But this producer, Craig Zadin, whatever his name was, he was like, are you, what are you, nuts? You got a whole movie fighting for the dance? The payoff is having the goddamn dance, you dumb prick. <laughs> and so the, this thing was over, and, and he was like telling every the producer's like, this guy's screwing up the movie. I don't know what to do with this guy. He's a jackass. And I guess he was, because Herbert Ross did a lot of really good stuff. But he didn't know. And then Herbert Ross, he, he said they had the test screening, and the audience was like, they were going crazy for the film until the last five minutes when the mood collapsed. And he says the, the test scores were disappointing. And then... You know, Herbert Ross finally came around and said, maybe you're right. And they had to go back, get more money. Re- everything had been taken down and cut and everything. And, and, and they had to shoot uh, shoot everything and get, bring everybody back and get two songs and film a goddamn ending dance scene, which really does. It seems like when you see a movie like that, it makes the most sense. And our favorite movie, Cocktail, just basically ended with the death of... Coglin. Coglin's law bury the dead they stink up the joint. As for the rest of Coglin's laws, well, I don't know, but it's like, you know, and then and then the film ended in the original movie. And the producer told uh I guess the director or something, he said, all the air went out of the room at this point in the screening, describing a sense of more morbidi- morbidity. Did I get that right? In the theater, a post-screening discussion uncovered no solutions till the research company's Joe Farrell made the casual comment, I guess the audience just doesn't want to know that Tom Cruise can't have it all. And then the guy was like, uh, I'm trying to think who the guy, Court, what did I say? Producer, Robert Court. He, he said, uh, it was clear that he had written a character and cast an actor who embodied the can-do spirit that an audience wanted. He replied to the group, man, it's the movies. He can have it all. We have to rewrite the ending. The suicide remained, but it was followed with Cruz's moral victory over a new antagonist character, his girlfriend's father, who tried to bribe him not to marry her. In the new version, Cruz and his girlfriend got married. She became pregnant with twins. He opened his own bar. and Cocktail become one of the year's highest grossing films. I'm Richard Mooney. I'm Jordan's father. I'm Brian Flanagan. I've come to see her. Well, she's not here, but come in. Come in. I'd like to talk to you. Well, I've certainly heard a lot about you in the last couple of days. You know, I don't know what really happened between the two of you, but uh, but I must say, I think you've got a hell of a lot of nerve coming up here after what you did to my daughter. I understand that. And I realize that Jordan is very upset. But if I could talk to her, make her see that I'm going to stick by her through this. I hope you're not suggesting that you'll marry her. I'm not sure... What we're going to do, we've got a lot to talk about. The hell you do. The hell you do. Isn't that funny? None of that was in the original script. Like his friend dies, he goes, see, you fucked up. That's what you get for being an asshole bartender. But as we all know, he's right about Tom Cruise. You can't end a Tom Cruise movie in the 80s like that. Tom Cruise is the fucking greatest. He, He needs to triumph over everything. Brilliant. And finally, uh, Fatal Attraction. In the original ending, they had to, you know, again, finance a new ending, bring everybody back. In the original ending, Glenn Close slices her own throat 
she kills herself. And 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 Dan's wrongfully arrested for her murder, and Ann Archer's trying to prove his innocence as the credits roll. That's the end. And the audience has hated it, which of course anybody would because well, first she had already tried to kill herself. Now I was thinking about this, and she already tried to kill herself at the beginning. So how is that a good ending? And then they changed the ending where Ann Archer kills her. Spoiler alert. There's no good way to make an ending for a movie like that. You know, obviously she needed to die, but you know, you can't figure something, you know, that movie is just what it is. You're not waiting for any kind of explosive ending. You know some, you know he she's going to die. So I guess it's just a matter of how and how important it is to the audience of which way she dies, but I thought that was a really good ending to have the wife actually end up killing her, you know. And I guess so did everybody else. I think that kind of stuff is rather fascinating. Especially if you got the money, uh, we you know it's funny we <laughs> since it's the only thing I know we did that with turbocharged by the way you know we we had a screening on the uh, memo could be on the show and maybe we've talked about it. I can't remember we had a screening of the movie this is a classic story with a couple of friends at Memo's house and uh, people hated it it's just like I mean it's not like they love it now but it was like horrible and I got depressed for like six months. And I came up with it. I guess I must have been watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I'm like, I've got it. <laughs> and we, we put it in the snowman and reshot all this stuff. And then, you know, it worked out to a way we were we could live with. <laughs> oh, my God. So, I don't know. That's always hilarious. Just a couple more things, and then uh, uh, we'll call it a day today. Because, I oh, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what we got. Well, no, I'll do this first, and then we'll, I'll tell you what I got more coming up, which I think will be super fun. Uh, it's just like the Britney Spears, you know, when all these people, the, you know, they, they get rid of the conservatorship, and there's just people cheering. I mean, the photos, people cheering. Think, I'm like, what the f- Who is, this is like the Kyle Rittenhouse thing. It's like, why are you going outside with a, an armed rifle, you know? I mean, why are you do Why? Why I know you're who you where how do you think that's going to end? You go out with that, go out with a baseball bat, you know, if you're going to try to protect your house. You go out with a rifle, you're going to, I mean, Jesus Christ, movies and TV have taught us anything. I think they should indict his parents. Why is he having a rifle? Anyway, that could be uh, finished by uh, the time this comes out on Tuesday. But, but then there's all this going on in the world, and then everybody's gathered around to make sure that they're all happy because it's very important. That Britney Spears is free of her. Fi- I mean, you. I'm sure you're with me on this. Why do we care? I mean, that's lovely that she's free, but isn't that like a private matter between her and her father? Why are there people surrounded around, walking around all day around a courthouse for this, when there is all this nonsense going on in the world? We have to worry about Britney Spears. She'll be fine. My God. I'm sure that has to drive you crazy too. It's insane when people are going, but people are crying. Thank God, I can't believe it finally happened. I mean, like it's, it's it's sick. These are the people we live with on a daily basis. Also, this is something weird, and I, I wasn't even sure if I should bring it up, but there's this Chinese tennis star, Peng Chai, uh, and she's missing because she accused. Uh, a former Chinese government bigwig of sexually assaulting her. And you've probably heard about this because everybody, she's just missing. 
you know, I don't know what you're expecting when you do this in China. You might be able to get away with that here, but this is China. I mean, you're out of your mind. This is like there's like being a, a tennis star in North Korea and charging Ken Jun Un with sexually assaulting you. How do you think that's going to end? You might as well be the Kyle Rittenhouse and go out there with an AK-47 and just be like, I'm sure this will end well. So I don't know what you, I mean, yeah, is it brave of her to do that? You're damn right it is. And now, of course, she's completely missing. Who knows what's going on with her? But here's the weird part. All this makes sense. It's a horrible thing. But here's the weird part, though. Later in the article, and nobody's talking about this, she said he brought her into a room at the couple's home and assaulted her or, some, or whatever. Uh, he brought her to, I don't know. But, but, but here's the thing, though. You see, seven years ago, they had sex. This tennis star had sex with this government official. They had se- consensual sex. And then she developed feelings for him. So, you know, that's the part they keep passing over. There's a, a history with this couple. So, you know, you don't want to discount anybody's uh, what they feel about sexual assault. But, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, they don't seem to be uh, commenting that they had a relationship and she had feelings for him before all this happened. Just saying it's, that's like a, you know, a small sentence in the like the the last paragraph it seems to me that should be part of a very captivating part of the story that nobody seems to be telling and why other tennis stars are surprised that she's missing i mean that's also kind of idiotic it's china that's what they do that's why this country is great even though people think it may not be we can call out the people and we don't go missing. I mean, sometimes. Depends on who you're calling out. Calling out Don Corleone, you're going to get trouble. <laughs> but mostly, uh, a woman like that can obviously take down the highest of high, as we know. And it's already happened. Ask Governor Cuomo. And finally, just uh, newsworthy-wise, and it's not newsworthy at all, is <laughs> that they were saying that... Uh, there's an article saying that Subway, the sandwich shop, isn't using that the tests of its tuna sandwiches discovered trace amounts of chicken, beef, and pork DNA, and in many cases, no detectable tuna. Well, I was wondering why I liked the tuna in their sandwiches so much. I couldn't figure it out. Now I know why it's because it's, you got to add the pork. Oh, the pork, the pork. is There's, there's three kinds of meat, three kinds of meat. You got to add the pork. <laughs> there's no tuna. Of course it's delicious. Goddamn brilliant. Now, why you would even bring up a, a, a thing to Subway Sandwich about, I don't know about this tuna. Well, you know, it's the same thing as bringing up like, hey, this uh, leader of China just assaulted me. It's, it's really the same futile thing you're going to get in return for that. Like, wait, what? Subway's not putting real tuna in their tuna? Are you What? Are you saying McDonald's isn't using real meat? I mean, I don't know whether they are or not, but I'm just saying, would you be shocked? You can choose to eat at Subway or McDonald's, and we're pretty sure what's going on. I mean, they have made it very clear that Jack in the Box, and I've told you this multiple times, is basically whatever beef they're using is a yoga mat. It's the same thing they use for yoga mats. And yet I still eat there. 
and so does a lot of other people. We know what we're getting into going to a Subway, McDonald's, or Jack in the Box, or Taco Bell, or any of those places. This is not a fine dining experience. It is not a supermarket. It's a social contract (laughs) that you make with yourself. That's why I'm like, why are you putting the calories on the menu at McDonald's? Why are you serving salads? Why, for the life of me, are you serving a meatless patty at McDonald's? And that's, I guess... I mean, who's going with you? Hey, we're getting McDonald's today. They'll have stuff for you. I mean, it's, I mean, what's the point? Order from somewhere else if you're with your vegetarian friend because they're not going to McDonald's with you anyway. I mean, it's like you're putting in a meatless patty at McDonald's. We know what we're getting into. We know what McDonald's is all about. Nobody's going to complain if they feel like they have to put the calories on there. Really? Oh, I didn't realize a chocolate shake would be so caloric. This is odd. Right? Are you guys with me? I had no idea. So you're saying a Big Mac is like really fattening? It's just kind of weird. And speaking of which, when I was in Hoboken on Sunday, I went to the Starbucks and it was packed. I feel like everybody has been, everybody's short-staffed. We all know this. This is everywhere, not just New York City, you know. Anywhere you're listening, everybody's short-staffed since COVID. But I do feel And I I don't know if it's everywhere, but I mean, at that Starbucks that day, which was a mess on a Sunday at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, which, you know, should have been running like clockwork. That's their prime time, right? Nobody got into a fight. Nobody got angry. And it took a long time to take the order, just waiting at the cash register for a while. But everybody was very patient. People that couldn't wait just left. But nobody was getting huffed because I think at this point, people are relaxing a little bit, knowing full well that everybody is short-staffed, and that supply is out. And you know me, I'm getting angry. I'm at the Chipotle, and I'm like, oh, we're out of straws. And I'm like, you motherfucker. Sorry. Uh, don't you, young man, <laughs> tell me there. Uh, I, I have to relax because I realize now, as they've made it very clear on 60 Minutes, and that's when you know it's for real, <laughs> that there's a short supply of everything. And that, um, you know, we're at the diner. They keep running out of chocolate pudding. It's really making my mom and I mad. But we have to relax because supplies are all limited now. She's like, well, we keep getting it. We keep running out. But that's that's the problem. But I was when I was at that Starbucks, it was like there was nobody was yelling or complaining. I think people are kind of learning to live with this this way now. Because I think that would have been a different scene last year. Well, not last year, but, you know, in normal times. But, of course, that wouldn't have been the case in normal times. But everybody was very forgiving. How about that? And uh, just hope that continues and realize it's probably just going to get worse. Uh, maybe not the short staff, but certainly the short supply, as we all figured out since they just don't have enough room to dock stuff. Boy, we should really get into a shipping container the business, right? We should invest in that, huh? Your thoughts? All right. So here's the plan. I don't know if I could pull it off next week uh, because it's a strange week. You know, I'd be recording on the Thanksgiving weekend, and that's all a facacta weekend, right? I was talking to my old friend Audrey, who you've um, I've spoken about before, and who's helped me out, as you all know, uh, during the pandemic. Even though as young as she is, she was extremely helpful. And I was talking to her yesterday, and we were talking about the Hallmark Christmas movies, and she said, because <laughs> you know I'm obsessed now because. 
they are really do are a great way to take your mind off shit, especially during football. And uh, she said, oh, I have three synopsises. Uh, two are real, and one is a phony Hallmark movie. You know, like when, and I was like, oh, wait, wait. You have to come on the podcast, and we have to play this game. So I'm going to have her on. And then she even made a bingo card that you play a drinking game with your friends, which I will put up on uh, I put on Patreon. I'll try and put it on a way that you can get it. Uh, so you can download it if you choose during the holiday season to play this drinking game with your bingo card. And it's brilliant. And the work that went into it, she goes, David, I don't do anything half-assed. And boy, she ain't kidding. Let alone that her voice should be doing voice voiceovers. I mean, she's amazing. Uh, just her, she should be doing voiceovers. She's very, she's almost like uh, Eva Marie Saint in uh, North by Northwest. <laughs> just a very well-spoken. But she's really smart. And I think we're going to have her on. I'm like, oh, I need to do a video podcast. I haven't done one in a while. But So I was going to do it at the end. I think I'm going to ask Molly Heckerling if she wants to come on. Since last year, I had her mother on just before we left for two weeks. So maybe I'll get Molly to come on and tell some stories about her dad. She just went to the Ghostbusters screening because she's friends with Jason Reitman. So maybe that's it. We can do that. As if. We always end it with a Heckerling story. Uh, but um, yeah, so I can't. I really need to put... Next week, I really kind of need to have Audrey on so we can get the Christmas thing going. So I think that'll be the plan. I think next week we'll do a video one, an audio video one, <laughs> and have Audrey on, and you'll see the thing, and we will have fun with the stupid Hallmark Christmas movies. Get the season cut off right. I wish if I had known about it earlier, I would have done it today. It would have been perfect, but it didn't work out. So I'll take care of it next week. You'll see. No breaks. You know, obviously, we will break between Christmas and New Year's. That's what we do. You know, you know, before we change the name, Just Gown City. It's happening. I'm doing it. I got to make a logo. Just Gown the City will continue after these messages. <laughs> anyway, folks, thank you so much for joining me on the journey that is the Nightfly. I just hope. I wish I had a special award for Miss Jan Brady. <laughs> Damn it. Can't get enough of that bit. And nobody knows where it's from except me and my sister and a couple of you guys. Thank God. Thank God for my Nightfly listeners who totally get it. <laughs> I wish. The winner is the winner with the possible 95 points is Nora Coombs. <laughs> who remembers that name? I just learned that an error was made in scoring the essay contest. The winner of the Honor Society Award is not Jan Brady. It is Nora Coombs with a score of 95. I wish I had a special award for Jan Brady for calling this era to my attention. She has today set a standard of sportsmanship and honesty that truly gives meaning to the words honor society. Her behavior today should be an example to all of us. Oh my God. Brady Bunch material. It's way too late for that. Um, God, at least, you know, you'd think you would be doing 70s material, not 60s. 
But anyway, I really hope everybody has such a great Thanksgiving. This is the podcast before Thanksgiving. I guess there'll be a lot to talk. When I say there'll be a lot to talk about, there's probably going to be nothing to talk about. What are you going to say? Like, oh, how was your Thanksgiving? Eh. I went there, I drank the beer, I got high, I ate, and I left. And uh, I watched some football in time. Hey, hey, you're okay. You know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you it ain't easy. All right. Hey, all right. But I, I really hope everybody has a Thanksgiving, a happy holiday. I hope you have somewhere to go or to at least be with somebody you enjoy. You know, most people for Thanksgiving, they're always going to places with people they don't even care for. You know, with relatives and friends and family. I mean, it's like they, you're always going somewhere where you're like, do I really want to be with these people? These are my friends. But I hope everybody really has, all, everybody that's listening to this podcast this particular time has a wonderful holiday. And we will come back, just do all between Thanksgiving and Christmas, all Vince Giraldi tubes and Christmas fun. Remember, the next time we see each other, it'll be Hanukkah. You know, it'll be Hanukkah. Hanukkah starts the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Are you fucking kidding me? This is why people can't stand the Jews. They're going to they're gonna put menorahs up the day after Thanksgiving. Like, that's got to go up now. <laughs> but it's a thing, and it's happening. So happy Hanukkah to our Jewish friends. <laughs> I'm hilarious. Oh, I am good, and that's why you love the podcast. Anyway, folks, have a great holiday, and uh, make sure you definitely watch the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, which is the most annoying of all Charlie Brown movies. That Pepper and Patty is such an asshole. Uh, so watch that. Have a good time. Have a great holiday and a great weekend and a great week. And I will see everybody next Tuesday on November 30th on the Nightfly. Good night, everybody.